When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The worst loss, perhaps, of the season has come. The Pitt Panthers lost to Syracuse 28-13 to in Yankee Stadium. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Football Unscripted right here on the Pit Talk Network. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, and with me for this episode, I'm very happy to be joined by Alan Saunders. You know him as a Steelers beat writer for Pittsburgh Steelers Now. Uh, you know him as a panelist on The Final Word on WPXI. Uh, he's an editor for Pittsburgh Sports Now. He's a jack-of-all-trades. Alan, thanks so much for doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. So uh, let's get into this because this game was an absolute mess for the Pitt Panthers. They lost again. They fall into two and eight. This team actually looked okay by halftime. And then they just completely collapsed in the third quarter. They had four drives that resulted in a fumble, a punt, a pick six, and a fumble. They are now arguably the worst team in the ACC right there with Virginia, if they haven't already been there. The offense remains inept. They were ranked 116th in the nation entering this game. The offense, not only did they not really score themselves besides one touchdown, they gave up 21 points off of turnovers, the pick six and then two fumbles in pit territory that led to Syracuse touchdowns. Is there anything to take away from this season other than like this has gotten completely off the rails and just they need to completely start from scratch. No. And, and it's not just the offense. Like I think, man, if this team just had, like we saw a pit team last year struggle with the offense. Right. I mean, we saw a pit team last year with bad quarterback play and some questionable play calling. Right. We saw that. If it was just that over again and maybe that over again, but a little bit worse, right. Because they're a little bit younger team, a little bit less experience in the offensive line, had some injuries. I don't know. Maybe you could live with that. The defensive performance in that game on Saturday, and this is the thing that Pitt is supposed to be good at, that Pat Narduzzi has yep. hung his hat on. The reason, think, look, look at this. Syracuse playing in a game without a healthy quarterback 
scored 28 points against Pitt. That was the most points they had scored against anybody since September 23rd. Like it, they scored more points against Pitt than in every other ACC game, and they did it without a quarterback. Yeah, their quarterback like, literally could not throw the ball. He couldn't throw, and it was obvious by like the end of the first quarter that he couldn't throw and wasn't gonna. And so I just don't know how that possibly can happen that you have a team that bad at offense in general. I mean, look at Syracuse's schedule. 10 points against Boston College, 10 points against Virginia Tech. Like these these are not the the, the, the it's not like they played uh, Giants. Like and then they play without a quarterback and they score 28 against Pitt. If they just went out there and didn't score, I think it would be one thing. You would just be like, "Look, fire the offensive coordinator, find a new quarterback, figure out if you have one or you don't or where all the problems are, go from there." I think the fact that it looks like there's like they were not able to reload the defense this year the way we have counted on them being able to under Pat Narduzzi and with Charlie Partridge and the way they've turned those units over. And it just it didn't matter how good the re- recruiting classes were. It didn't matter how good the transfers were. It just seemed like they always had the next wave of guys. And in fact, the next wave of guys right now, the players on the team are some of the more talented in terms of like prospect ranking yeah. guys that they've had. And they stink. I mean, that was one of the worst defensive performances in Pat Narduzzi's time at Pitt. And like that combined with the offensive problems, I think, is why this feels like such a low for Pitt right now. Yeah, and we'll get to the offense in a second, but I like that you talked about the defense because we've talked about the offense. We know the offense is terrible. We know the offensive coordinator is is nothing and it doesn't really bring anything to the table like the offense is cratered that's been the case all season long we know that but the defense has been the thing to hang their hats on that's been pat narduzzi's you know go to like that's what he is known for that's randy bates has done a great job that has been the thing that they could hang their hat on and the defense it's been a little bit shaky but in this particular game against as you said, a, a, a aggressively mediocre offense in Syracuse. They just couldn't do anything. They couldn't make simple tackles. They weren't able to, uh, to, to read play calls from the Syracuse offense. There were so many times where everyone watching could see what Syracuse was going to do. Everyone knew what was coming. We all knew that they weren't throwing the ball and yet Pitt just couldn't stop them. They couldn't read the play. They couldn't read the blocking and the gaps and all that. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't make big plays when they needed to. They in the fourth quarter when Pitt was trailing after a disastrous third quarter and Pitt's defense needed to get the Syracuse offense off the field, get the ball back to Pitt's offense and see if maybe the Pitt offense could do something and make a comeback. Syracuse just kept moving the chains. Syracuse held on to the ball. Pitt only had the ball for two minutes and 10 seconds in that fourth quarter. So they couldn't even get the team off the field. There really wasn't much to like about the defense. And to their credit, yes, they gave up 28 points, but seven of those were a pick six where the defense was not on the field. And then 14 of those were coming off of fumbles in pit territory. So they were not put in a good position by the offense yet again. That's been the story week in and week out, but 
the difference is in previous games, they've at least held pretty strong for a while. In this case, they really didn't. Syracuse scored on the first possession, and at no point did the pit defense look by any means excellent. Yeah, you kind of have to wonder if guys sort of checked out. I mean, yeah. that's that's the 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 takeaway I have there is like, you know, you lose the game to Notre Dame, embarrassing. You know, Pat says what he says about the players. There's some some come to Jesus on the flight home there pretty clearly. They go out and give a good effort against Florida State. I mean, I don't think anybody really questioned. I mean, they were only – they lose that game by three scores, but they're really only like a couple of plays away from being in that game, you know, very late. Yeah, They, they give a good effort in that game. It did not seem like this was a good effort from the pit defense. And that is, you know, look, like I've – you know, 10 years ago, Oh well, it's just a bad year. You write it off and you move on. Now you have to really wonder, like, if these guys have quit now, like, how many of them are going to come back? Like, where, like, what, what is going to happen this off season? If you're questioning the effort in November, what's what's going to happen in December and January? Yeah, and you wonder how bad it could be in terms of players transferring out. At the same time, the way the team has played this year, would it be the worst thing if they had to? Yeah, that's, that's... I mean. I, that's a good point too. You know, like I don't know. I feel like they have good players. I really I do. Like, I, I don't do think this is a team that is just starkly devoid of talent. Like this is not an on paper two and nine football team, two and right. two and ten football team. Like that's just not not who they are. Um, I think they've underperformed their talent pretty significantly. I think there's some players that are going to be like if they like it, and we didn't talk about the offense that much yet. But like, if, look, if Gavin Bartholomew goes in the transfer portal. There are going to be like big teams after him. Like, oh yeah! Like, like if Rodney Hammond goes in the transfer portal, there are going to be big teams after him. I'm not like it's not like I these just guys are now. Like George is going to Southeast Missouri State. Like yeah, like they're going to be like Notre Dame's and and Virginia Tech's and teams like that involved in in taking the players that you just didn't win with. I think that says a lot about the, the way they're being prepared to play. Yeah, I could totally see Gavin Bartholomew going to maybe not Georgia, but like a Georgia type program and being the Brock Bowers of that program and just lighting the world on fire and everyone going, Oh my God, this guy's amazing. What is, you know, stellar tight end. I agree. I think the talent's there. And a lot of yeah. this is coaching. Yeah. I, I think it, a lot of it is coaching and, and you know, it's, it's hard to, uh, it, you know, I, like if and if it is coaching, if that's the conclusion that's being reached on the inside, like well, I don't know why we're waiting to the end of the year to do things. Like I mean, look, I mean Texas A and M just bit a seventy-six million dollar bullet to fire Jimbo Fisher. Yep. They have a winning record. They're going to play in a bowl game. Maybe they yep. just beat Mississippi State. I think Penn they already State's, have six wins. Yeah, yeah. Penn State's twelfth in the country. They just fired their offensive coordinator. Like Pitt's just pitting along. Like. Dum, 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 dum. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, do something. I don't know. Yeah, it, it really is wild. And this is going to lead into the person who is least likely to be back next season. And that's got to be Frank Signetti because this offense remains dreadful. Everyone knows it. Again, they came into the game 116th in the nation. The, the offense yet again was a complete mess. There were turnovers, miscommunications. Of the turnovers, again, 21 points came off of those turnovers. A pick six and then two fumbles in pit territory that pretty quickly became Syracuse touchdowns. This offense, in their nine FBS games this year, they have scored 16 offensive touchdowns. 16. That's under two per game. 
You're not going to win. Pat Narduzzi says this in basically every press conference. We're not going to win. You can't win too many football games scoring seven points or 10 points or whatever it is. He says that almost every week because it it's true. You're not going to be able to win too many football games when you score under two touchdowns a week. And that's what they've been doing. 16 touchdowns on the offense in nine games. In the last four games, it's been even worse. Five offensive touchdowns in the last four games. And while two of those games were against very good defenses, Notre Dame and Florida State, two of them were against Wake and Syracuse, the opposite of Notre Dame and Florida State defenses. And still, five total offensive touchdowns in those last four games. You compare the 16 offensive touchdowns in the nine FBS games this year to USC, They've scored 66 touchdowns. Now that's in 11 FBS games, but that's six per game. If you put that pace out, if they had played nine FBS games like Pitt has, their pace would have them at 54 offensive touchdowns. Pitt is at 16. I know Pitt isn't USC. I know no one at Pitt on the, in the quarterback room is Caleb Williams. But can't we get something in between 16 offensive touchdowns in nine games Five in the last four games. That is just atrocious. And Narduzzi is completely right. You cannot win football games like that. So why is he trying to? Like, that's the thing. It's like, I, I, like, I don't understand. Like, this was an obvious problem a while ago. It's, And I think, to me, it's really an indictment of kind of like his whole way of doing things where he always has these very experienced coaching staffs. He relies on his offensive coordinator to do a whole lot. You know, Frank Signetti is like a 50-year coach. Like, he's not, he's not, he's not telling him what to do on his offense. But like, there's not even a guy on that offense, offensive staff, that you would be like, oh, well, maybe we'll just turn things over to him. Like, where's where like where's where's the next? And and I think that's interesting. Like, like if you want to talk about Pat's entire tenure at Pitt, I think that's one of the very interestingly, like, there's not much of a coaching tree there. Right. right. Like there, there really isn't. And he's had older, he, he's relied a lot on experienced coaches and, and had older coaches that can be good. It can work, but you know, he hasn't really developed a lot of coaches. There doesn't seem to be a next guy coming. There doesn't seem to be a, like if he fired Frank Signetti for these last two, like who would be people, who would people, what I guess like Tequan Underwood. I don't know. Like I, like there's, there isn't like a guy that like seems to be that next coach. Like if, if for whatever reason Randy Bates couldn't coach these next two games, and I'm not advocating for Randy to be fired at all, but like if for whatever reason Randy Bates couldn't coach these next two games, no one would have any problem with Charlie Partridge being a defensive coordinator. Furthermore, no one would have any problem with like Archie Collins or Corey Sanders being a defensive coordinator if for some reason Charlie Partridge couldn't. Like they've right. got these coaches on defense where you're like, oh, these are guys that are exciting and they're up and coming, and probably someday they're going to have to promote them or someone's going to come take them. On offense, there's none of that. It is just a collection of guys holding down jobs. And I think it really like, look at what happened with Brennan Marion. Like there was an exciting guy who was up and coming and then he gets run out of town. Like it, it seems like the environment in the pit facility is not what those kind of coaches want and not where they want to be. And it becomes then this self-fulfilling prophecy where you can't attract them. So you don't get them. So you never have them. So then you can't attract them. Like what you got to break the cycle at some point. Like if Pitt fires Frank Signetti and hires another 50 to 60 year old, 20 year coordinator that is going to continue to have a staff full of 
old, been there, done that, jaded, and don't care coaches, like, where's the upside to the program? Like, what? how do they ever get out of the cycle that they're in right now in that circumstance? And, and I'm not sure I, I can see the answer from here. Yeah, because you're absolutely right in that style of who they're hiring because it has been guys like Randy Bates, like Frank Signetti, like Mark Whipple, who was successful and Randy Bates is successful. We're not yeah. saying that can't be successful, but it certainly doesn't set you up for success when those guys leave for whatever reason to then be able to replace them. Because you mentioned uh, Brennan Marion, who was the wide receivers coach uh, two seasons ago. And then the offensive coordinator job opened up. He really wanted it. He was pretty vocal and campaigning for it. Narduzzi doesn't give it to him. He gives it to Frank Signetti because that's his style. He wants to give it to someone who's been doing the job for years and years and years and has paid his dues or whatever. Brendan Marion spends a year on the Texas staff. He's currently a first-year offensive coordinator at UNLV. Uh, the Rebels are 8-2 and two in a pretty good Mountain West conference. They score... 36.4 points per game that offense looks real real good and UNLV's got a very good chance of winning the Mountain West this season so maybe there is something to giving those younger guys less experienced guys maybe more ambitious guys I know it's not great to be ambitious and it can be threatening and whatever but you know there might be a reason for that and it it seems like for whatever reason Narduzzi's style is just going with these same kinds of guys. And sometimes it works out, but other times you watch guys like Brennan Marion walk out the door and you don't really have a better option to replace them with. No, I think you hit the, the nail on the head with the word ambitious. It feels like that is forbidden among right. pit coaches. And that is not, in my mind, how you develop a good coaching staff. Like, it's just not. Like, you want those guys that want to move up, that want to be better. Like if, if, if the only people that can stand working for you are people that don't care about their future prospects, like you're, you're severely limiting your upside. Like you just are. Yeah. I, I get the instinct that you want the people around you to stay there. You want them to want to be there for years and years and years, but that's just not how being an assistant coach works. Like no one dreams. Well, I shouldn't say no one. Most people don't dream of being an assistant coach. They want to be a head coach and they're happy to pay their dues and work as a, a grad assistant and work their way up. But eventually they want to get to that position. And as a head coach, you should want that for them. You want to have a good coaching tree, ideally. And this situation is that of which Narduzzi just wants guys like Randy Bates who are going to be comfortable sticking around for years and years and years and just playing that role. And again, that can work. But in a situation like this, where it's clearly not working with a guy like that and Frank Signetti, it's unclear where they turn. Now, what we do know is it's it's not going to be Frank Signetti. I mean, I have no idea why he is still employed at this point, because as you've said, Penn State is 10-2. and two. They're ranked 12th in the country. They just fired their offensive coordinator. So I'm pretty sure it's not illegal in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to fire your OC midseason. But for some reason, Pat Narduzzi hasn't done it. That said... I would be absolutely shocked if he's back for next year. So for Pitt fans who are worried about that, I just can't possibly imagine Signetti is back for a third season. Like the fact that it hasn't happened gives me pause, but it, it absolutely needs to happen. Like I can't, I can't under any circumstances see a way that anyone should be okay with him coming back. 
And I like Frank. He's been good to me. I thought he, I did not think it was that bad of a hire. I thought it would be okay. Um, It has not turned out that way, uh, but I didn't think it was a a bad hire. I thought it could work much the way that Mark Whipple could work. Uninspiring perhaps, but certainly uh, can work. And, um, you know, they obviously missed on evaluating the quarterbacks, We'll see how that plays out during the future. You know, I don't, I think Pitt's really in a bad situation with the quarterbacks where, you know, when you bring in quarterbacks who have been experienced in other places and then they come to your place and they play worse, how do you develop, how do you evaluate your own then? Like, how do you sit there and say that Christian Veyer and Nate Yarnell, because they're not having success in this offense right now, aren't any good? Like, right. because nobody else is either, right? I mean, like, Phil Dracovic was, worse than the quarterback he was at Boston College. And, you know, Keaton Slovis was maybe worse than the quarterback he was at USC and certainly not better than the one, you know, he was at BYU this year. Like, I just, I I don't know. Like, I think that puts them in a tough spot in terms of evaluating quarterbacks. It's probably going to come down to, like, the what the new coordinator thinks and what they want, but – They've got to figure out if they have. They've somehow they've got to figure out if they have a guy for next year in house or if they need to find one. Yeah, it's tough. You talked about it, it's tough for a lot of people. It's tough for us. It's tough for us to be able to evaluate these quarterbacks and who could possibly be a starting quarterback moving forward. Because how can you fairly judge someone playing in an offense this inept? I've kind of seen this on your beat with the Steelers with Kenny Pickett and Matt I'm Canada. Thinking. Everyone's saying like we can't really tell if Kenny Pickett is a good starting quarterback or if he can become one because this offense for the most part hasn't really been much. He doesn't have much to work with. And so you can't really judge him on that. And it feels like the exact same thing. How can you really get to know if Christian Veyer or Nate Arnell or anyone is actually a good quarterback or capable of being a good quarterback if they are put in a position to fail and that's what this entire Frank Signetti offense and really this entire season, but specifically the offense, that's what it's been. And it goes back to like obvious stuff. Like we were talking about before, like, I don't know, Gavin Bartholomew might be the best offensive player on the team. Find a way to get him the ball. Rodney Hammond is clearly the best running back that Pitt has clearly. It is not close. Let him run the ball. Like I, like these are just like day one, step one things that they're failing at where like, I'm, I don't even know how you could come to evaluate like higher level stuff when you know that they're not even getting like throw the ball to the good players and play the better players more things that are like simple to figure out. Right. Like, I, I just, I don't know how that happens. Yeah, it really is impossible. Gavin Bartholomew is so clearly talented. Yes, he had a couple mistakes in the previous game against Florida State, but he is the best receiver that they have, likely the best offensive player they have, one of the best players they have on the team, period. And he doesn't get the ball. He doesn't get targets. Yet again in this game, he wasn't even on the stat sheet this time, and then he got hurt, and I think he was seen on crutches. We don't know if that's the last time we're going to be seeing him in a pit uniform because we don't know about the injury. We don't know if he's going to transfer. We don't know anything. Bartholomew, if it's like a hangnail, that's the last time you saw me in a pit uniform this year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's really, and no one can blame him. What are you coming back for? Right. Like, no one can blame him. If he doesn't play these last two games, no one could blame him. If he transfers out, people would be upset, but no one could yeah. blame him. I, and even in hindsight, this is sort of a tangent, but I, it's kind of funny how everyone went 
two years ago when Jordan Addison leaves for USC, everyone's fury. And I think people are still understandably upset about the method that Lincoln Riley did it, but people were upset just at Jordan Addison for leaving. They were in fact steaming mad. And now in hindsight, you're like, huh, <laughs> well, maybe he knew something about Frank Signetti. I, I think he made the right choice. And now no one's mad at Jordan Addison. No one is because they understood. And the same would go for Gavin Bartholomew. I'm not advocating for him leaving. I'm just saying, how could you possibly blame him now? All of that could change if there's a change in offensive coordinator, which we both think there will be, and it depends on who that person is. But you couldn't blame anyone for looking at this offense this year and saying, I don't really want to come back next season, even if it's a different offensive coordinator. Yeah, and and I think you're going to see that. Probably, like, that's, you know, the other part of this is, like, I don't know what you're waiting for, but also, like, it's the faster you can make that move, like – that the timing between the end of the season and the transfer portal is tight. Like yeah. there's not a lot of like, get, a, get ahead. I don't know how many realistic offensive coordinator candidates there might be that you could talk to between now and the end of the season. But if there are three, then you're three ahead of where you would be. If you like, <laughs> there's so little time to make a change in coordinator get that new guy in there, figure out what's happening with the rest of the coaching staff and then go recruit transfers for in the January transfer portal. Like that, like those things are happening really fast. Like you're not helping yourself by waiting. You're hurting yourself. Right there. Cause they're going to have to hit the ground running and to get these transfers and to really reshape this team on the offensive end. And to do that, you're going to need an offensive coordinator and that's going to take time. If they wait to the end of the season to make this change, then it's going to be another two or three weeks until they find a new offensive coordinator. And then they've got to start from scratch. And like, this is going to take a while. And it's and... probably going to go beyond the coordinator. Like I can't see a new coordinator. Like they've, they've had like some of this where they've changed the coordinators, but they kind of just keep the staff. Like, like I can't see that going over this time. Like I can't right. see this staff staying intact. And so then you're going to lose recruits because those were the assistant coaches that they were tied to. Yep. And they like, now you're like, like there's a, whole, a lot of work to be done this off season. I don't understand the, the mindset of putting it off until later. Yeah. And now I, and I understand other people have jobs, so you can only do so much now, but you can at least get started. You can at least yeah. kick around ideas of, of who you want. And whether that's say Mike Shanahan, former pit wide receiver, who's now the offensive coordinator at undefeated James Madison, whether they could possibly make a run at Sean Lewis, who's kind of on the outs as offensive coordinator at Colorado or someone floated Joe Moorhead, who I know is kind of a career guy, but as and he's not a good head coach, but as an OC, he has shown that he's actually very good in that position. So, I mean, there are three names right there. If you make a change pretty quickly, you can start, putting feelers out back channels, those guys maybe get something official right after the season's done and hit the ground running. As of now, it just seems like they're kind of waiting for the clock to run out. Then they'll make a change at OC and all the other positions. Then they'll start a search for a new OC. Then the new OC and, and Narduzzi can talk about different assistants and position coaches. And this whole thing's just going to take so much time when they have to tear this thing down. You have 60 players on your roster, right? <laughs> And then, and then you've sunk two seasons because of a mistake. Right. If, if that hasn't already happened because of, I mean, last season was still good. They still got nine wins, but still it was pretty clearly not an offense that you wanted to have moving forward, but they ran it back with Signetti and the whole thing. And we see how that happens. It's just, 
I'm completely with you in that this season's gone. And this season we know has been gone since like week three. And there hasn't been anything that we've really learned since then. We don't know that, I mean, they haven't moved on from the offensive coordinator. We don't know who the quarterback, if the next starting quarterback is going to be on the roster. We don't really know anything. We'll talk about the quarterbacks for a minute. Christian Veyer just got benched. He went 13 for 22, 161 yards, one touchdown, one interception that was run back for a touchdown. He fumbled the ball twice in two bad miscommunications with his running back where he just couldn't hand the ball off. There were some bad incompletions. And in the fourth quarter, he got benched after some really bad mistakes. In the last three games, because he started against Louisville coming out of the bye week, and he looked good. But in the last three games, he has two touchdowns, six interceptions, and two fumbles. I know it's difficult to to evaluate him in the Signetti offense, but do you think he could be the future starting quarterback for this squad, a good starting quarterback? I do. I think he has arm talent. I think he's tough. I think he's a good leader. Um, I think he's probably trying to do too much a lot of the time. I think he has technical stuff that is – not up to the line, but it's all like things that should be able to be fixed in terms of like some of his footwork and some of his technique stuff. I think like there's room to grow, but it's not like, Oh, his arm isn't strong enough or he's just slow or he's not short or, you know, things that he can't fix. It's all seems to be like, to me, like things that could be fixed. Um, I, I think it, it will take good quarterback development, you know, to do that. Um, but I, I think it's possible. Uh, you know, I had Penn State people in my ear saying that like he was going to be really good this year. That like he had a chance to to not just like you know be Phil Dracovic's backup, but to beat him out coming out of training camp. And we heard some of those whispers coming out of training camp. And obviously, Phil Dracovic turned out to be not very good this year. But I, I, I feel like there is potential there well beyond what we've seen so far this season at Pitt. Yeah, it's so difficult because, as you said, the, the talent does seem to be there in terms of, like, with Dracovic, we could see it. He could not throw the ball. Like, the his arm was done. That's not the case with Vayer. So it's not from a pure talent level to say, oh, he can't be a good starting quarterback. It's And, and we have seen levels of that intangible like when he drove when he won the game against louisville when he drove the offense down against wake forest that should have won the game we've seen that he can be that guy so it's not like oh yeah but he collapses in big moments no we've seen him be able to step up but in these last few games it's it really has been a mess i agree i think he's forcing it i think he's kind of unsure about where things are headed and that could be frustrating. And then again, he, he gets benched for Nate Yarnell, who what was interesting actually, because this isn't the first time that he was benched for Nate Yarnell, but in those cases, it's cause the game was over and they just wanted to give him some rest, get, you know, view on the sidelines. But in this particular case, he gets benched in the fourth quarter. Nate, Nate Yarnell goes out there three for five, 48 yards. Doesn't make any horrific mistakes or anything. And then in the post-game press conference, Pat Narduzzi's asked, is Christian Veyer the starting quarterback next week? And he said, I don't know. We're going to have to look at the tape. So he punted on that question. This is the first time that it seems like they might be losing faith in Christian Veyer or might 
be interested in Nate Yarnell. I mean, what do you make of that like quasi quarterback competition? Should they entertain that? Should they try to play both next week? Should they put all their faith in Vayer? What do you think? Uh, you know, Nate Yarnell is an interesting guy because when you know, when his high school recruitment was happening, I was like, this is just a pure like scratch off lottery ticket. Like you look at the guy and you're like, Oh man, like six, six, like, you know, big, strong arm, like pretty mobile for a guy that size. And you're like, man, I could have like Ben Roethlisberger here. Like, this is like a, this is like some talent to dream on, but then there were inner injuries. There's a lack of experience. Like there's every reason to say like, it probably isn't going to work out. But man, if it does, right? Like that's that's every part of of that recruitment for me. And you know, like if you go buy a lottery ticket, even if it's a scratch, I mean, if you're like, ah, I'm probably gonna lose, you still scratch it off, right? Yeah. You still want to see whether you hit or not. I think there's probably part of someone in this pit staff, whether that's Pat Narduzzi or Frank Signetti or whoever, it's like. What's it going to hurt us to see what we got? You know, like, let's, let's find out. Um, I don't expect it to be, we talked about the limitations of the offense over and over again. I don't think that he's in a position to do anything great, but I don't think it would hurt to find out either. Now it probably involves a conversation with Christian Veyer. Like you, you can't have like that guy getting mad and running to the transfer portal because this is a decision you made. If he really very, very strongly feels like he wants to play these two meaningless games, then maybe you got to let them, but I don't know. Like, I think there's, um, I think there's some advantage for Pitt just to see what they got. Just cause like, why not? Yeah, it, it really is an opportunity. These last two games, I think just to see what you've got earlier this year, after the season had already gone off the rails, I was saying, I, I think there is merit in going five and seven. You can use five and seven as a springboard into next season, especially obviously because they lost early. If you can win for your last six games or something like that, you can take that, move into next season and grow. Then that became off the table. And I said, well, okay, maybe, maybe four and eight you can get to and use that as a springboard. No, at this point, it one, it's not happening. And two, I don't really care. You don't need, it doesn't matter if it's five wins, four wins, three wins, two wins. I don't really care about these last two games in terms of the wins or losses. This has already cemented itself as the worst season this century for Pitt football. What really matters is trying to figure out who the quarterback is. We know about the coaches, but who is the quarterback? Who can it be going forward? Can Nate Yarnell turn into that person, that lottery ticket that's going to hit? Can Christian Veyer, when things slow down, when he feels like he doesn't have to force it, maybe with a different coaching staff, can he be the guy? I don't know how you do that with Frank Signetti still as the offensive coordinator. And this is why I think it would have been smart to make a change midseason and see if he can change his quarterback with a different OC, with an interim OC. But you have to at least try to evaluate Veyer and maybe Yarnell in these last two games to get some sort of idea of what you're working with next season. Because if you're wrong and you put all your faith in Veyer and you roll him out next season and he's bad, well, as you said earlier, you've now wasted two years. If you go away from him, if you piss him off, you play Yarnell, and then Yarnell turns out to be not too much, and Veyer transfers, maybe he's really good in the future, and now you're screwed there. They could mess this up in a lot of ways 
it's a difficult challenge with this same coaching staff these last two games, but you have to use these next two to try to figure out what you have. I think so. I'm not sure that you're going to learn that much if you don't make any other changes. Like that's why like, I, I'm still feel like we're in lockstep on that, but I, I just, um, man, I don't know. I, I don't think that, I, I don't I don't think that Nate Yarnell is like the answer. Like, oh my God, they've just had this guy sitting here yeah. all year and all they had to do was turn to him. Like I could he turn out to be good? Sure. Like, but I, I don't think that's like the way it's gonna go. But you know, there are lots of quarterbacks in transfer portal. I mean, they've got to they've got to do some 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 hard they've got to take a hard look at their own self-scouting evaluation that led them to Keaton Slovis and Phil Dracovic yep. in the transfer portal back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to play those guys. No coach is going to come out there and say at the press conference, if you go get a quarterback to be your starting quarterback in the transfer portal, if you intend on doing that again, you've got to play that guy. You have to. You have to play him. And uh, you can't miss on those guys because you have to play them. You have to play them until it's beyond obvious that they are not the guy. And so, like, how did they get there? That Was it all just their coordinator? I don't think so. Like, I don't think it's all just the offense. Like, I think there's there's been a fundamental miss in the scouting from the transfer portal that led to those two guys coming in. Like, I did not like the Slovis acquisition from the beginning. I thought Dracovic, because they brought Veyer in behind him, like, kind of made some sense. You'd kind of take a chance on a guy – like reclaiming his game, but like they let it go on for too long. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they, they've got to figure out what led them to make those mistakes and not make them again, because like the next quarterback is probably coming out of the transfer portal. Like they don't have like, that's I mean, like Jaden Duggar's like a long-term guy, like maybe two or three years, he could be the guy, but like no one thinks that he's walking in here as a freshman and taking the quarterback job. Like, but they need another one. So where's it going to come from? Yeah. You do wonder if you talk about this season, how things would be different. Like the sliding doors moment. If after week two, they bench Phil Dracovic because it was clear that he didn't have anything. Christian Bayer goes in, shows some promise. Maybe the offense still sputters. And then after week seven or eight or something, they make a change in offensive coordinator and then see what else they have. And then they could use, the rest of the season to better evaluate Christian Veyer. And you wonder if things would be a little bit different, not in terms of results, because the season would still be the season, but just in terms of how much you're going to know as you approach next year, because we're in agreement as of right now, you don't know much. I'm fully in agreement in that Pitt has to look in the mirror when it comes to evaluating and developing quarterbacks, especially transfer quarterbacks. They have not done a good job at it. And I can't imagine it's all just a coincidence. Part of that does come strictly down to Pitt being able to evaluate who's a good quarterback. And then once they get into the system, develop them into the kind of quarterback that you need them to be. And that just hasn't happened. We're going to wrap things up in a moment. I, I guess my big question for you, the last topic is like, if you were czar of Pitt football, I would say Heather like, but if you had even more carte blanche to do whatever you wanted, you could do anything. You could try to rally boosters if you wanted and and get rid of Pat Narduzzi and pay the buyout. You could bring Frank Signetti back for another year if you wanted. You could do anything in between. What would you do from now until the start of next season to try to turn things around? I would 
have a conversation with Pat Narduzzi and I would make him understand that the next offensive coordinator hire is probably make or break. Yep. If if you get it wrong again, that's it. And that he is a defensive coach. He actively hates the concept of offense. Like that is how much of a defensive coach he is. Yeah. He needs to understand that the thing that is going to lead his team to success, the thing that did lead his team to success was embracing a more modern and like, look, like Mark Whipple was not exactly like reinventing <laughs> the wheel over here. Yeah. Like he was running the same stuff the Steelers ran when he was there in 2006. Like you you need to be able to throw the ball. You, you need a modern passing offense. That is what you're going to need to win the ACC. And that is what you're going to need to recruit players on the offensive side of the football. And most of the time, not always, most of the time getting that is going to involve taking a chance on a younger coach with ambitions who might leave and you might have to repeat this process, but that is better than hiring another old guy and failing and getting fired. That would be my conversation. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that anybody has uh, the, the power to tell Pat Narduzzi who he is and isn't going to hire, but he needs to understand that and him coming to that understanding him coming to the realization that that reality is that he is the one that screwed this up that he is the reason that Pitt is where it is. And he is the only one with the power to fix it. Uh, that's that's about all anyone can do right now. I'm fully in agreement. I think, as you said, it's tough to have that conversation. I don't env- envy Heather Like, who that's a tough conversation to have to say, hey, this is your fault. And this next hire could very well be your last. Like you want to try to give your head coach confidence, but really this, that's why this has to kind of come internally for him. He has to be able to internalize from himself. Yeah. I messed this up and yeah, this might be my last hire. And yeah, I have to take a chance on someone who's ambitious, who maybe I don't fully love, but who can do a really good job and is hungry and can lead a great offense. I'm a a very similar thinking with you. I would have Signetti gone today and just try to throw yeah, weeks right. Ago. Weeks ago. Five weeks ago. Exactly. Four. Anytime, really. Uh, and put Underwood as OC or Tim Salem as OC or something, whatever, just to change something, try to get ahead of start on the new, uh, new OC. When it comes to that, you look at someone maybe like Mike Shanahan, maybe someone like Sean Lewis, and maybe even Joe Moorhead because he has been talented at that. And someone that I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I'm not the most knowledgeable person in terms of all the available offensive coordinators out there. But same mindset as you, certainly someone that's a little bit more modern with their approach and someone that wants to throw the ball and, and, you know, move the chains. I think you do that. You don't reserve any position coach on the offensive end. You don't guarantee anyone a spot back. If they want Underwood back, the new OC is wide receivers coach. Fine. But some of these guys like uh, Borbley on the offensive line, Dave Borbley, like, no, it's it. Unless the new OC desperately wants them to stay, you let the new OC pick their own people and you just make it known that, yeah, this is the last thing. You have a new OC next year. You have either Christian Veyer under that new OC or you have a new quarterback and you have one at most two years to turn this around or that really is the end because 
if next year, if, if Narduzzi makes a bad OC hire and they come out next year and the team is still bad and they're like four and eight, that might be it. Now the buyout might make things tricky, but that might be it. And best case scenario for him, he gets one more year, which would be 2025. And if they don't massively turn things around, then, then that's it. But if this next OC hire and all the staff changes that come of that and the quarterback change that may or may not come with that, if he doesn't get that right, He's gone in a year or two, and I don't take pleasure in that. I think Pat Narduzzi's done a very good job for Pitt. I think he can be a, still a very good coach. I think he could turn it around. Jeff Capel, everyone was calling for him to be fired. I thought they should have moved on for Pitt basketball, and look at him and how he's turned that program around. So I'm not saying it can't happen, but it needs to be internal for Pat Narduzzi. He needs to recognize, as you said very perfectly, that he is the problem. He's the reason they're in this mess, and he has to turn this around because he is now on a short leash and he has to know that. Yeah, I think that's that's it and I don't know that I feel confident in that uh <laughs> yeah. Well, when you lay it out that way, I don't know how I see this going, but I think mm-hmm. that's where that's where it's got to go. Right. Yeah, it's uh, when you're wondering how like in touch with his own, you know, deep personal feelings is Pat Narduzzi going to be and self-confidence. It's like, Ooh, I'm not entirely yeah, confident, but you know, we'll see. Know. You give him that chance and, and you see what he does with it. Uh, so we'll certainly see what he does with it here. Uh, Alan Saunders, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining me. Please tell the listeners where they can find you, follow you, see you on TV, read your stuff, all that. Yeah. At a Saunders underscore PGH on Twitter. Uh, my Steelers work is at SteelersNow.com at PGH Steelers now. Uh, you can also find me on the final word on Sunday nights on channel 11 and also involved in all the stuff we're doing at Pittsburgh sports now and our coverage of Pitt and Duquesne and Robert Morris and the whole network covering Penn state and West Virginia. Super excited about basketball season. I think we got a great team over there. So uh, stick around for all that as well. Uh, well, Alan Saunders, thank you so much again for, uh, for joining me. Um, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Corey E. Cohen, Pit Talk Network at Pit Talk Network. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe to the Pit Talk Network and you will get all our new episodes delivered right to you. We've got this. We've got uh, Panthers Pathway with Austin Bechtold. We've got Olympic Gold and Blue. Going to be talking about Pit Soccer coming up in just a couple days. Uh, and so please uh, follow and subscribe to Pit Talk Network. Uh, again, thank you, Alan Saunders, for joining me of uh, Pittsburgh Steelers Now, Pittsburgh Sports Now. Until next time, I'm Corey Cohen signing off on Football Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network.